This episode is brought to you by the Deeper Christian Life Network. The Deeper Christian Life Network is an online network designed for mentoring and connection among those who want to deepen their spiritual walk. The network includes exclusive masterclasses that you can take at your own pace and much more. The masterclasses are conference messages based on themes and or letters in the New Testament that cannot be accessed anywhere else. The network opens up for registration periodically throughout the year. Go to thedeeperchristianlife.com and check out samples and join the waitlist if you're interested. I'll start with a visual illustration here. This here is a seed. And I just want you all, as you're listening to me introduce this, take a look at it. Don't take it out, because it probably will disappear. As I'm talking to you, I just want you to get a good look at that seed. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul makes a statement. He says, first the natural, then the spiritual. First the natural, then the spiritual. And in 1 Corinthians 11, he made another statement where he asked a question and he says, doesn't nature teach you? And then he made a point. Now that seed is the natural, but I'll tell you what, there is an enormous message in that seed. There is a spiritual significance in that seed. And I want us to look at that tonight. That seed represents life, it represents nature. The life and the nature of an organism are in the seed, and it's dormant in that seed. You have to plant it for it to be activated. See, that seed's been cut off from its life source. It's a lemon seed, by the way, if you're wondering. When a seed is cut off from the mother plant, it dies. So it's dead. But inside of it is the DNA of a life, a nature, and if you plant it and you water it and you properly fertilize it, it rises from the dead and it produces something. It also has the ability to multiply. And this is why in the Greek, the word seed is often translated sperma. And this gives us a, a clue as to the fact that seed, whether it's a vegetable seed or a fruit seed or a human seed, has the ability to multiply. And that's why seed in the Bible is often translated offspring. It's often translated children. It's even translated descendants. And it produces a certain kind of image. So a lemon seed is going to produce a lemon tree and then a lemon. A tangerine seed is going to produce a tangerine tree and a tangerine. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15:37. What you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. Then God gives it the new body, talking about the seed, the new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Now, what's the purpose of a body? It's to express the life that's in it. And so in that seed is an image, whatever the seed is, whatever kind it is, there's an image and it produces a body that expresses that image, whether it's a lemon or tangerine. What I want to do tonight is I want to talk to you about and I want us together to trace 
the seed in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation and follow the line of the seed. And so if you want to put a title on this, you can call it a tale of two seeds <laughs> because there are two seeds in the Bible and they show up in the beginning and they show up at the end. From Genesis to Revelation is the saga, the drama of those two seeds. Let's start in the beginning. Let's begin in the beginning, Genesis. So again, I'm just gonna take you through the scripture. Hopefully your mind will paint images of, of what these scriptures are saying. Genesis 1:26. then God said, let us make man in our image. There's image right there, keyword. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Question, name one thing that is predominant in the book of Genesis, at least in the beginning, that creeps on the earth. A serpent, yeah, snake, right. So God is saying, you're gonna bear my image, you're gonna have my dominion, and you're gonna have authority over the creeping things. And one of them is the serpent. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. There's them again. Verse 28, then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over all of the things I've created. Then in verse 29, and God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you, it shall be for food. And then verse 11 of Genesis 1. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself. So here we have the mention in the very beginning of Genesis that every seed bears fruit according to its kind. The image of the organism is based on what kind of seed it is. All right, it reproduces the seed after its kind. Keep that in mind. Verse 12, and the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. Verse 29, we're still in Genesis 1. And God said, See, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be food. Then we move to Genesis 2, and God plants a garden. And in the middle of the garden, he puts two trees, tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is after he talked about how every tree bears seed according to its kind. All right. Then in verse 15, God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And he said, of every tree of a garden you shall eat except this one tree, the tree of a knowledge of good and evil. If you eat it, you will die. You will die. Now let me make a point here. When death enters into a person... What happens is they begin to get what we call old. They age, right? And then eventually that increased age creates death. Unfortunately, we know the story. The man and the woman 
bit out of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God said you would die. Well, they didn't die immediately, but they got old. All right? Now, implicit in this statement that you can eat from every tree of the garden, and he put right in the middle was the tree of life. His desire was that they ate from the tree of life, that they partook of that fruit, whatever it was, we don't know, people speculate. I personally think it was a grape. Even so, <laughs> it could have been a pomegranate, but it had seed in it. It had seed in it. And what does seed do? It produces after its own kind. What was the seed in the tree of life? It was the seed of God's life. It had the nature and life and energy of divinity. It was God's life. And God's intention was that his man and his woman that he created would partake of the tree of life. And that seed that was in that tree, that divine seed, would dispense itself into them they would then live by that life that was now in them and they would bear the image of the seed, <laughs> which is God himself, and they would multiply. That was the intention. The Old Testament is God's Instagram account. It's his uh, Facebook photo album. It's his picture book. He speaks in pictures and images. And we're going to trace the seed through the Old Testament and discover what the Lord was really after. Now, we see what God wanted in the tree of life. That had the seed of God's own nature. But what was in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? There was a seed in that too. That was a fruit-bearing tree. So there was a seed in it. And I would suggest to you that we know what was in it. There's a name for it. In the New Testament, there was a life form in that tree. There was a seed in that tree that when Adam and Eve partook of it, they died eventually. But something went in, into them that caused them to become old and they began to age and eventually they died. They also had a different kind of nature put into them that they didn't have before. And that nature was part of that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, the New Testament, I believe, the New Testament gives us one word that describes what that life form in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was called. What that seed, the nature in that seed, what it was. Does anybody want to take a guess of what you think I may be thinking here? Sin. Sin is correct. Who said that, by the way? I base this on the fact that if you read Romans 7 carefully, Paul talks about sin as being a life form. He says, sin that dwells in me, sin that lives in me, sin that causes me to do this and that. Sin is not just an action, it's a nature. And what we have in the nature of sin, we can reduce it down to one thing or two things or three things. We have independence from God, we have selfishness, we have pride, and then all the stuff that comes out of that, you know, jealousy, hatred murder that's the seed that's the nature and that got into adam and he became the lord said you will die when you eat this he became what the scripture calls the old man and the whole creation became the old creation this is what we have 
we have fallen humans on the earth who are now living by a nature that was the very opposite nature that what God wanted. They had the wrong seed in them. Now, in Genesis 3, we're moving forward in the story. God says this to the serpent. I will put hostility between you and the woman. Talking about Eve. And between your seed, the serpent's seed, and her seed. So the woman has a seed, and the serpent has a seed. Well, I believe, again, the seed of the serpent was that nature and that life that was in that tree. And now that was injected into Adam and his wife Eve. They had the seed of the serpent. And then the Lord says, He, meaning the seed of the woman, will strike your head, talking to the serpent. The seed of the woman, he says it's a male, he, is going to strike your head, and you, serpent, are going to crush his heel. You're going to strike his heel. Now the word in the Hebrew, it's either crush, crush, or strike, strike. The serpent is going to strike his heel, but his heel's going to crush his head. And that's basically what happens with a human and a serpent, right? The serpent goes after the heel, but then the, the human crushes the head of the serpent. All right, so this is a promise, and this is explosive. This is high octane, this promise, because we're going to see it play out throughout the Old Testament. See, what the Old Testament is, and we're going to see this, it is the story of God creating a new seed, which is the very seed that was in the tree of life. And the seed of the serpent, which is the old seed, seeking to kill and destroy the new seed. Seeking to kill and destroy the promised seed. The promise that we find in Genesis 3. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Well, the whole story of the Old Testament was people and nations trying to destroy that seed before it was ever germinated. We have now, we're moving forward to Genesis 4. We have the birth of the first two children ever to break the womb of a woman, Cain and Abel. And Cain clearly represents the seed of the serpent. He's jealous. He's full of pride. And he has the spirit of murder in him. And he kills Abel. You would think that the new seed has been wiped out because Abel represents the new seed. But this is what happens. God casts Cain out from his presence, and Cain, leaving the presence of God, builds a city. And that city becomes what we now call fallen human civilization. And it provided security outside of God. It provided entertainment outside of God, and it provided sustenance outside of God. And the seed of the serpent, the old seed, just multiplied and multiplied into that fallen human civilization, and it enslaved humans and kept them away from the presence of God. But the Lord had, he had an ace card up his sleeve. He wasn't just going to allow Abel to die and not to replace him with something else. The new seed had to be back. And so we have Genesis 4.25, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son. See, she carries the seed, seed of the woman, right? So she's still active. As long as she's alive, she can produce another seed that will be the new seed, you follow? So Adam knew her. I won't explain what that means. And she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed, listen to her words, 
This is the words of Eve. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel whom Cain killed. The seed of the woman. Now the new seed's back. All right? Let's look at Seth. Seth, the son of Eve and Adam, is an ancestor to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will come through the loins of Seth. He is the new seed. He's the picture of the new seed, right? You can find this in Luke 3. You could trace the genealogy of Jesus, and what you're looking at is the new seed, the promised seed, right? Up until you find um, Adam, who unfortunately became the old seed. Now, the old seed, who's represented by Cain, keeps multiplying. You have fallen human civilization. They grow and grow and grow. They take over the earth, and the earth is so wicked that God has to wipe it out. So he sends the flood. But in that ark, there are four males. And when the water recedes and the ground is dry, there are four human males that are on the planet. The rest of them have been wiped out. Now, for $50, which Joel will be happy to give you, who are the names of the four males but are left after the ark landed? Noah. Noah, yes. He has three sons, Shem, yes. Ham, Japheth, right, okay, so there you go. So these are the only four. So the new seed, the promised seed, has to be in one of them, correct? Well, it's in Noah, but Noah's going to pass away. So it's one of the three. Well, let me take you through them. Japheth became the father of the Gentile nations. He's part of the old seed, all right? Ham... <laughs> He became the father of the seven Canaanite nations, which eventually, as they grew, would seek to kill the promised seed in every form for centuries, all right? Ham's descendants not only would be the seven Canaanite nations, but his offspring would produce Babel, fallen civilization at its peak. And then Babel would eventually become Babylon, and Babylon would also seek to destroy the seed. So that leaves Shem, and Shem is the new seed. He carries the new seed. Jesus Christ will come from the loins of Shem. He just has to stay alive. <laughs> All right, so this continues to go on, and from the loins of Shem comes a man that God will call, and he will choose this man to be the father of the new seed in spades. And this is Abraham. So let me take you through the story here, beginning with Abraham. Genesis 22:18. God is going to increase the new seed. So he chooses a man to do it. It's Abraham. And God says this to Abraham, 22, verse 18. In your seed, Abraham, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And your seed will multiply like the stars and the sand. Now, Abraham, again, he comes from the seed of Shem who came from the seed of Seth. So he's part of the new seed. God gives this same promise to Abraham's son, Isaac. And incidentally, Isaac had a birth that was impossible, just like another man many centuries later would have an impossible birth. Are you following what I'm saying here? All right. God says to Isaac in Genesis 26, 4, repeats the same promise. Your seed is going to multiply and bless the nations of the world. Isaac has a son named Jacob, and God gives the same promise, in your seed the nations of the earth 
will be blessed. It will multiply. That's Genesis 28, verses 13 to 14. That seed continues to a man named David. 2 Samuel 7, 12. God says through Nathan the prophet to David the following, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. So David is in that same lineage. He's part of the new seed. But if you remember, Saul repeatedly tried to kill David. This is the old seed trying to kill the promised seed. The Philistines try to kill David. The Amalekites try to kill David, and God is preserving the seed, all right? This is the picture I want you to get, because this is important. Because you see, the seed of the woman will eventually crush the seed of the serpent. So God's enemies continue to try to kill the seed, because <laughs> the enemy knows that he's going to be defeated when that new seed eventually comes to its climax. Listen to Ezra 9, 1, 2. This is interesting. Ezra 9, verses 1 to 2. This is moving forward in history. The leaders came to me and said, quote, The people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring peoples with their detestable practices, like those of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. Those are the nations that are all part of the seed of the serpent, okay? The old seed. For they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, so that the holy seed, this is the new seed, is mixed with the peoples of those lands. So in other words, what you have here is the old seed, all these nations that want to destroy the promised seed via through Israel now, they realize they can't defeat them, so let's go ahead and mingle with them. We can't destroy the seed, so we'll pollute the seed. There's a whole message in there for the Christian, by the way, which we won't get into, but if you think about it, this is often the enemy's tactic. If we can't destroy them, let's pollute them. Yeah. All right, Psalm 89, verses 3 to 4. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David, your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. Then Psalm 28, verse 29, still speaking about David. His seed also I will make to endure forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. Psalm 105, verse 6. This is the word to Israel, which came from the seed of Abraham. O seed of Abraham, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. And then listen to this. This is Isaiah 53, 10. And if you're familiar with Isaiah 53, that is a, an entire chapter which is a messianic prophecy about the Messiah. Listen to this, Isaiah 53.10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, meaning the Messiah. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he, meaning the Messiah, shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. He, the Messiah, will see his own seed and will prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. What is he saying? He's saying the coming Messiah is going to have his own seed. He's going to have spiritual children. Praise the Lord. Yes, praise the Lord. 
And this is interesting because this is Hebrews 2.13. And in Hebrews, the writer is taking the Psalms and he's taking Old Testament passages and he's putting it in the mouth of Jesus Christ. And here's one of them. Jesus is speaking prophetically through the prophets and says, here I am. Jesus is saying this to the Father. Here I am, Father, and the children you have given me. He has spiritual children. See, the seed, the seed is going to continue, but it's not only going to continue through the Messiah. He's going to have his own offspring. All right, now God's through with pictures. The day has arrived. All right, everything has been a Photoshop class, right? Instagram pages. Now the reality of the seed has broken into the earth. Israel's seed has been protected all the way to a young girl named Mary. The seed of Seth has been protected. The seed of Shem has been protected. The seed of Abraham, the seed of David, all of it has been protected until it gets to Mary, the seed of the woman. And this is what Galatians 4 verse 4 says, but when the fullness of the time had come, the day had arrived, God's through with pictures. God the Father sent forth his son, born of a woman. That has echoes of Genesis 3, the seed of the woman. Isn't that fascinating? And so God the Father, <laughs> through a woman, gives birth to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And there's a man on the scene. The promised seed has arrived. The tree of life has now come to earth. And he is the seed of God himself. Listen to Luke 8, verse 11. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, the seed is the word of God. And then in John 1, 1, we have, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14, the word took on flesh. So Jesus is in effect saying, I am the seed. I am the word. I am the promised seed, the new seed. Now, this gets a little tricky here, so let me take you through this slowly. John 7:42. We're still tracing the seed. John 7:42. Has not the scripture said that the Christ, the Messiah, comes from the seed of David? This is Jesus speaking. Galatians 3, verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. So the promise of the seed, your seed really was the promise to Jesus Christ. It was a promise of Christ and actually to Christ that the nations of the earth would be blessed by the seed, which is Jesus. But it, it gets even better than that. Galatians 3.19, what was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. The promise was made to the seed. The seed had come, that's Jesus. Now, watch this. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the religious leaders. And this is John 8, 37. Now, the seed of the serpent is still on the earth. Even when the seed of God came, when Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman, appeared, the seed of the serpent is still around, functioning, still trying to kill the seed. So, Jesus says this to the Pharisees. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham. Physically, you come from Abraham. Because they would say, we're the seed of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me, 
because my word does not find any place in you. Verse 38, I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. Yeah. Oh, so they're thinking, oh, well, we do, what we do what our father Abraham says, right? No. Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. You are the seed of the serpent, is what he's telling them. And the desires of your father, you will want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Well, flashback to Cain. Cain was the seed of the serpent, right? Well, here the Pharisees are walking in the steps of Cain. It's the seed of the serpent trying to kill the redeemed seed. Now, verse 13 of Acts. This is we're moving forward. Acts 13, verse 22. After removing King Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, concerning David. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Verse 23. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. Romans 1.3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh. Hebrews 2.16, for indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. 2 Timothy 2.8, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Well, the seed of David, Jesus, was raised from the dead. And when he rose again from the dead, the seed multiplied, and it multiplied in the city of Jerusalem. Listen to the words of Jesus now. Remember, we're, we're tracing the seed. John 12, 24, verily I say to you, verily, verily, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And we're back to Genesis 1, a seed producing after its kind, the seed multiplying, multiplying, filled the earth. And then Matthew 13, verse 37 to 38, he answered, Jesus answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. So Jesus has seed coming out of his own seed on that day. A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. That's Acts 8.1. They were scattered all throughout. And those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Well, think about it. This is an image of a seed multiplying and being scattered and then filling the whole earth. We're back to God's intention. The tree of life is back on earth in the form of Jesus. He's the one seed, but that seed went into the ground, rose again from the dead, so that it can be dispensed into human beings. And brothers and sisters, if you look around in this room, you're looking at the seed of God dispensed into human vessels. And the enemy will always try to seek to destroy the seed, but God always preserves the seed. He's done it from the beginning. He will continue to do it. And that seed spread all throughout Jerusalem, all throughout Palestine, even unto Antioch of Syria, and then from there went all over the world. In Romans 9, Paul basically says that Israel, the Israelites, are basically Abraham's seed after the flesh. 
but it takes some other kind of birth for them to become Israel and Gentiles as well to become the true seed, the promised seed. So these are the scriptures that talk about that. Listen to Galatians 3.29. And if you are Christ's, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's true seed. Even if you're not Jewish or Hebrew. If you are Christ's, because the Galatians, most of them were Gentiles, then you are Abraham's true seed and heirs according to the promise that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. You're heirs to that promise. And then John 1, verses 11 to 13. He came to his own. Jesus came to his own. Who's that? Abraham's seed after the flesh. The Hebrew people, the Jewish people. He came to his own, and his own, most of them, did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave them the right and the power to become the seed of God. People who were not part of Abraham's physical seed. Who were born, how did they become the seed of God? Who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of humans. They were born of God. In other words, they took a bite out of the tree of life and they became part of God's own family. His new race, his new line. It's pretty amazing. Born of God, born from God's seed, partakers of the tree of life. And then 1 Peter 1.23, listen to this. Having been born again, he's talking to God's people, Gentiles and Jews. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, which lives and abides forever. So you see, the line of the seed goes through the epistles in the New Testament. You know, Paul's talking about it in Galatians. Peter's talking about it, and John talks about it. Listen to 1 John 3, verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on practicing sin because he has been born of God. But this, it is evident, who are the children of God, who are the true race that comes from God the Father, the seed. They are the children of the devil. They're the seed of the devil who practice unrighteousness. But those who are the seed of God walk in love and do not practice unrighteousness. This is 1 John 3, verses 9 to 10. And now we come to the other bookend of the Bible. We start out in Genesis, right? And God said, your seed will crush the seed of the serpent. He was speaking of the woman. The seed of the woman will crush the head, will strike at the head of the serpent, but the serpent will bruise, will strike at the heel of the promised seed. Revelation 12, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman, and he describes the woman. Verse two, she being with child cried, travailing in birth. So the woman has birth. And then in verse three, we have a red dragon. This is Revelation 12, who seeks to, verse four, devour the child seeks to kill the seed. And she brings forth a man-child to rule the nations with a rod of iron. So we see a woman bearing a seed. We see a dragon trying to kill the seed. Everything we learned about in the Old Testament, here it is in Revelation. <laughs> and then verse nine, he identifies the great dragon. The great dragon is the old serpent, the devil, Satan, who deceives. What did the serpent do? Deceived. 
And then verse 17, the dragon was hostile, was wroth, full of enmity with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. So it's not just Jesus Christ, it's his seed. It's us. We are the promised seed. And then at the end of the book, the seed of the woman ends up in the New Jerusalem and the seed of the serpent ends up in the lake of fire. And it's a beautiful story, but it's really not my point. It's fascinating, but that's not really what I'm going to say to you. <laughs> All right, so let's go back. Genesis 3.15. God says to the serpent, the seed of the woman will strike at your head. The seed of the serpent, the head. But the serpent will strike at the heel. So we have the promised seed from the woman is going to crush the head of the enemy, but the enemy is going to bruise his heel. All right. Golgotha is the place where Jesus Christ was crucified outside of Jerusalem. And the word in the Aramaic means skull. It's also called Calvary. And the Latin for Calvary, calva, means skull or cranium. And in all four Gospels, it tells us this is where Jesus was crucified. All four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, hold that thought. This is very recent. This is an archaeological article that came out in December 9th, 2021. Here's the headline. Skeleton with nail in heel offers evidence of Roman crucifixion. The first time they ever found this in an archaeological discovery. Archaeologists in Cambridge came across a rare discovery during an excavation of a Roman roadside settlement. They found a nearly 1,900-year-old skeleton with a nail through its heel. Crucifixion with nails seems to be the only explanation. Now, up until this point, experts did not know how exactly they crucified the feet, but it went through the heel. Doesn't that remind you of something? Well, that's not my point here. <laughs> Golgotha, the place of the skull. Jesus is there on that hill, and a nail is being driven through his heel, as well as his hands. Really, the wrist area over here between the hand and the wrist. An early Christian leader named Origen, who lived from 185 to 253 AD, recorded that Jesus was crucified on the spot where Adam was buried and where his skull had been found. Golgotha, the place of the skull. As this early story goes, when the earthquake occurred as Jesus hung on the cross, his blood ran down the cross into the crack in the rock below and fell on the skull of the old Adam. And what was in the old Adam? The seed of the serpent because he took the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This history is so entrenched in early Christian tradition that Jerome referred to it in a letter in 386 AD. Interestingly, Jewish tradition states that Adam's skull was buried near the city of Jerusalem by Noah's son, Shem. Unknown to most Western believers, this history is so accepted that it is considered a major theme of orthodox doctrine, and the skull of Adam appears consistently at the base of the cross in both paintings and icons. 
if you ever see a skull at the base of a crucifix, you know that it symbolizes Adam's skull that was allegedly found buried at the site of Jesus' crucifixion. And that's the promise. The promise was serpent's head will be crushed. And that's what Jesus did at their cross. He destroyed the power of the enemy to defeat the new seed, to defeat the promised seed. And sisters and brothers, we are that promised seed. He's preserved the seed all the way up until we came on the scene. And we are recipients of that. And here's my point. Here's the big takeaway. Number one, your identity. How we view ourselves as Christians shapes our behavior. It shapes how we act. It shapes how we live. It shapes the decisions we make. Sisters and brothers, get behind the eyes of God and get into the story. Consider this whole saga that you have come from the seed of God that traces all the way back to the tree of life, to Abel, to Seth, to Shem, to Abraham, to David, to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are the offspring of the promised seed, Christ. That's who you are. If I can put it this way, you're royal stock, all right? You're part of a new breed, a new race. The early Christians in the second century, they called themselves the third race and the new race. You know, there's a passage in 1 Corinthians 10 where Paul describes three different people. He says, the Jew, the Gentile, and the ecclesia of God, the new creation, the new humanity. That's point one. Point two, your purpose as an individual, every seed bears an image, is to learn to live by the life of that seed. We have God's life in us. Even though we feel like a human being, just like everybody else, whether they're saved or not, we have something they don't have. We have God's life. I'm speaking of unbelievers now. We have his seed in us, the incorruptible seed. We can live by that seed. We have his own nature in us. We can live by that nature. We can depend on that nature. We can have faith that will activate that life in us. And we can live by that life and express that image, the image of the seed in our own life, in our own activities, in our own behavior. And the nature of that seed is love. It's the opposite of selfishness. You know, the seed of the serpent, if you can narrow it down to one thing, it's selfishness. The incorruptible seed of God that was in the tree of life, his nature, it's love. It's benefiting others at the expense of ourselves. That's basically what it looks like. And that's Jesus Christ embodied, if you look at his whole life. But see, the third point, the third takeaway to me is the most exciting. And that is that going back to the words of Jesus, this is a dead seed. It's been cut off from its life source. You put it into the ground. The dormant life is activated. And not only does it come back to life, it produces something that will produce and multiply many seeds, right? That's what you have. A lemon tree with lemons and many seeds. Well, Jesus Christ was that seed. He went into the ground. He came up and he multiplied. You see those disciples in the day of Pentecost. They're there. That life has been given to them. But here's the thing. The grains on the day of Pentecost, they had a feast. They all came to Jerusalem. And they took all of the grain. The wheat was harvested. Those individual seeds, or all individual seeds, they took it. 
they crushed it and they refined it and they put it in an oven and it leavened and it became one loaf. And in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul tells the ecclesia in Corinth, you are one loaf. What is that? That's the them that God was speaking about in Genesis 1. His intention from the beginning, let them bear my image. Let them multiply. Let them have authority over the earth. And sisters and brothers, those of you who are gathering together, God's intention is that you become built together as a community so that you will express the image of Jesus as a them as not an individual grains, but as a loaf expressing his image and bearing his authority. And this was his intention from the beginning. It's the story of the seed. And this is your identity. This is your purpose. This is my identity. This is my purpose. And this is our mission as God's people together. And you have a shot at exploring this, investigating it, and living it out in a brand new way. I'm gonna open it up for just sharing and anything you saw and insights and things you wanna add and feedback and all that. But I wanna just say this, this message is really an introduction. There's a whole lot more. You could spend literally weeks and weeks just talking about the implications of the seed and tracing it through scripture. I mean, I didn't read all the scriptures. There's a lot more. But one of the things that you may want to consider doing, this is a suggestion, is to say, why don't we for the next four weeks take this message and just expand it and go deeper and go further. And one of the simplest things you can do now that we have Bible software is you can get on Bible Gateway or, or so many other a Bible uh, online resources. Bible Gateway, pick a version, ESV, New King James, whatever, and just type in the seed, and it'll pull up every reference in Scripture where the seed is mentioned, or seeds. Copy and paste them, print them out, maybe have a meeting where you kind of identify the passages that really seem pertinent, and say, let's all look at these passages, on this date, we'll come together and we'll share whatever the Lord has shown us and given us about the seed. And then the next week, you could do another set of passages. And the next week, because this message really shouldn't end here. You all should bring the rest of this message, if you follow me. I've opened a door here, but there's a universe behind it. And there's a whole lot more that's there in the scripture and that the Lord can reveal. This is just my portion. Hey guys, this is a postscript just before you head out and we part ways. I have created a bundle of free resources. This would include my other podcasts, the YouTube channel, several free ebooks, free seminars, and other free resources. And you can find all of that at frankviola.com. And if you go to frankviola.com, you will see in the top menu a link that says free stuff.
you just click on that and you will be taken to the free resources page. Also, a number of you have asked if you could donate to help defray the costs of the podcasts and also to express appreciation for the value that you've been receiving. You're under no obligation to donate. I don't ask for donations, but should you have it on your heart to do so, you can go to frankviola.us. That's frankviola.us. And that will take you to a donate page. There's three different options you can use to donate, all of them simple. Thank you very much, and God bless.